Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be very blunt here. I think children are stupid. <laughs> but by, by and large, large majority of our children are not that smart. And I, I don't blame them. I'm Googling children's books and I found The Shiving Tree, which is also a reboot of The Giving Tree. It's the tree snapping the child. Nowadays, books are no longer the easiest way to spread that message because you have these audio and visual ways of transmitting like knowledge and morals and messages that you don't need to write it out to disperse it. Like You can still go back to saying it and people are going to view it. Welcome back to Coming In Without Context. <laughs> Was I supposed to do an intro? Yeah, do an intro. No. Okay. So the other day, I got a fortune cookie, and the little slip inside of it said, better beans and bacon in peace than cakes and ale in fear. What do you think that means? Okay, so beans and bacon are breakfast foods in the UK, Uh right? And their casual fare so you can enjoy them casually in peace whereas cakes and ale is a party uh cuisine (laughs) (laughs) right like you 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 get cakes and ale when you're celebrating in in the evenings usually so what's the meaning of the quote um you it's better to have something simple and be casual and relaxed about it than to have something more extravagant or decadent, but in fear. That's pretty close. I feel like it's about drugs. It's not about drugs. <laughs> Do you know that Cakes and Ale is a novel by William Somerset Maugham? No. What's that about? It says... Cakes and Ale is a delicious satire of London literary society between the wars, between the wars, period. Wait, did you just Google this? I thought it was going to be something you read. No, I just Googled it. Why did you Google it? Why Why wouldn't I Google it? <laughs> because I was about to tell you the, the background of the quote. Oh, okay, go ahead. <laughs> what? I don't want you to stumble upon the background of the quote. That's what I'm Googling it. Don't Google it. Okay. Well, anyways... Um, the line, better beans and bacon in peace than cakes and ale in fear, is one of Aesop's fables. So, the story was, there was a town mouse and a country mouse, and they visited each other. And so the town mouse went over to his buddy, the country mouse's house, and the country mouse made him all these all this food and it had beans and bacon and cheese and bread and that's all he had to offer but he was offering them up to the town mouse but the town mouse was like ugh this isn't good food I don't know how you live like this and so he told him he needed to come to the town and live with him for a bit and the country mouse would never want to return to the country and then the country mouse was like okay cool I'll go to the town with you and so then at the town, the town mouse serves up this cake and like ale, and he's like, isn't this delicious? And then a, a loud dog comes by and starts barking at them. And the 
Comfy Mouse is like, oh no, this is scary. And so he runs off, and the town mouse is like, what are you doing? And he's like, better beans and bacon in peace than cakes and ale in fear. And that's this fable. Yeah, I, I, I've heard that before now that you have retold the entire thing. You have heard that before? Yeah, I've heard that fable before. Did I tell you that fable? No, I don't think so. But I don't think I heard it as a kid. I'm pretty sure, like, I heard it in middle school or high school. Do you remember when or why? No. But I feel like, you know, fables, these days, fables are just something that you hear about as works of literature, not so much as life lessons, you know? Hmm. Interesting viewpoint. Well, because we have so many children's books these days, sometimes of those fables. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say. So, like, yeah, we don't have, like, Aesop's fables. Like, we're not reading those anymore. But when it comes to moral messaging for children, that still remains. So, that's what I wanted to discuss today. I thought I'd intro it with the fable is what were some of the books you read growing up? Because obviously, like, centuries ago, they had these fables, and they were, like, the moral guiding lessons for life. And even in places where it wasn't written, there was awful oral traditions of passing down stories so that people would gain, like, the knowledge and follow certain moral guidelines. Like, what did you read? Uh, Dr. Seuss. Dr. Seuss? I feel like Dr. Seuss is a a staple of modern children's literature yeah um the giving tree Mm, yeah i don't know i feel like i mentioned this to you but i just discovered from a classmate in the senior seminar this last semester Mm -hmm. that someone wrote a new version of the giving tree titled the tree who set healthy boundaries (laughs) because in one of our classes we were talking about the giving tree and how the moral of the story is kind of bad from an environmentalist standpoint, since the tree is supposed to represent nature and it just gives, gives, gives to humanity. Right. Mm -hmm. And the, the boy never seems to give like return anything back. And although it's a happy quote unquote, happy ending or like a, you know, makes you feel good ending that they, that he's an old man and sits down on the tree it's not a healthy relationship. And so my classmate found this updated book by, I think, I'm pretty sure it's a different author, like someone who just was inspired by it, but rewrote it. And I haven't read it, but I'm pretty sure it changes the moral to be about healthy boundaries. And I mean, that fits within the larger trend of children's books trying to be very conscious about the messages they're sending to children. But that's obviously been met with a lot of backlash. Like there was a book about where an author wrote it about his own lived experiences growing up as a black child. And he wasn't even trying to do it to like point out racism or to like make some sort of statement. He was just like basically writing a memoir, but about his childhood. And it got banned from a lot of schools. So like there's those stories are being introduced to try and like, I mean, like setting healthy boundaries is one, but like there's a lot of people who are trying to be very conscious about the books we're giving children. And then there's a lot of people who do not like that at all. 
um, because some of the messaging that exists in our literature is very old and rooted in very old morals. And so I wanted to see if you had like a viewpoint on that. Okay, I have three thoughts, but I feel like as I discuss one of the thoughts, I'm going to forget about the other two thoughts. So I'll start off with the easiest one is that I'm Googling children's books and I found The Shiving Tree, which is also <laughs> a reboot of The Giving Tree. <laughs> it's the tree stabbing the child. Okay, honestly, I was sad about The Giving Tree growing up, so it's weird to say it was like a happy story. Because even when he sat on the stump as a yeah. kid, I was like, that's sad. Like, I was Yeah, sad. well, they... My professor showed us a video of, like, young kids, like, kindergarten kids talking about the books. And, like, it's a it's a way to teach them philosophy. Mm-hmm. And one of the, the – there were two – it was a girl and a, and a boy. And the boy was like, oh, the tree is giving and that's a good thing because the the – like, the kid in the story is benefiting from it. And, like, he needs those things. He needs the things from the tree to survive. But then the girl was defending the tree, saying like, no, the, the tree should not be giving everything away because then the tree has nothing left to give. And so like it was a very interesting argument between young kids. Like they're, young kids are aware about that this, this story is not just like one way. Like there's not just one right answer, you know? Like yeah. kids are smarter than we think and they can think for themselves and also realize that maybe the morals that they're receiving aren't the correct answer Mm -hmm. and then like going back to your point i feel like that's also something we've updated or realized about these older fairy tales fables because like obviously they're a lot of them are really dark if you go back to the source material yeah and like it's one thing to say that oh they're outdated they don't really apply to modern day life but i like some things still do apply but then even those things that still do apply they might apply in not the same way in not the same cultural understanding as we have today Mm -hmm. my last point because you brought up the banning of books and like that's been in the news because so many of like these young adult novels i'd say are like really targeted like the really famous ones that are standardized in english literature you know like 1984 lord of the flies what else is there what else did you read uh brave new world yep okay um to kill a mockingbird yeah i read that one is it catcher in the rye yeah yeah i never read that one but i know that one gets a lot of heat well like all stories have a moral right like they even if they're not setting out to teach their audience something it's not going to be a compelling story unless something you take away something or you you have a lesson there right so it's it's so odd i guess to target certain books or literature and say that their lesson is not good for kids when all literature does that and i guess like obviously there is like politics ideology involved right and that's really complicated we don't want to get into that but it's almost like besides free speech it's like you're not trusting kids and children to be able to discern 
what the moral is and if it's right or wrong because like adults assumption of children is that they're just going to be indoctrinated or they're just going to accept everything at face value yeah um well speaking of other books on this list i have pigeon has to go to school did you ever read that what was it pigeon has to go to school it's like the ones oh i hello 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 Hello. casey how are y'all doing good good how are you doing okay doing okay so to start you off uh what are some children's books that you remember from your childhood oh god um (laughs) i feel like well this is something where i feel like i would know if someone was to give me a list of them so let me search a list of children's books right now um but none come immediately to mind oh yeah bunch of eric carlisle stuff like the very hungry caterpillar yeah, where where the wild things are. Yep. Oh Bunch yeah. Of the Judy Bloom stuff, Char- Charlotte's Web, of course. Mm. Um, a Wrinkle in Time that I don't remember it very well. Holes. Does that? No, that's not a children's book. Children's book. Good Night Moon. Oh yeah. Oh, that's a classic. Matilda. I don't know if you guys have seen the Netflix adaptation yet, but it's on my list. The Giving Tree. Casey, what do you what do you think about the Giving Tree? Oh, what do I think about the Giving Tree? I feel like that kid is not, <laughs> his parents have not taught him well. <laughs> I'll tell you that. <laughs> that whole story, I, it, it kind of hurts. I feel like, I, I think I read an interview with the author before. It was like some allegory for something. But I feel like um, there's a lot of people that are they're like that kid. I don't know if they ever named him. There's a, I mean, there's always like givers and takers, right? When it comes to relationships. Mm. So... When you were reading these books as a child, did you ever think about like what the message of the story was? I don't I don't think I did. I think to some extent I probably considered like the messages or like the meaning of of these stories, right? But it was never to as a kid I wasn't thinking like what are the themes here, right? <laughs> what are the what are what are the what are the key motifs? I feel like when I was reading a bunch of Dr. Seuss stuff it just you know, it was um, like almost like sensory overload at times, right? When it comes to like colors and like weird things and like weird animals and stuff like that. Do you have any, I mean, we're kind of at the age where I don't think you would necessarily, but do you have any viewpoints on like children's literature today? Like what's being sent out and put into schools today? That's a good, that's a good question. I haven't read much children's literature these days, but I feel like Especially in the context of, you know, more and more culture wars, I, I feel like children's literature is kind of like the, I feel like it's one of the earliest battlegrounds, right, upon which, you know, people like push their agendas, right, when it comes to their viewpoints, when it comes to what they think children should or should, shouldn't be reading. I mean, there's, um, I mean, I, I have like, a, I have a mug with a bunch of like names of banned books on it. And there's one of them, I forgot the name, but it. Like the long and short of it, it's like a children's book about gay penguins, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. And in a, in the book is banned in a lot of southern states because they're just like we don't we don't support gay people, right? So we don't want this books. So I feel like my, my thoughts on children children's books these days. I'm not I'm not sure. I think because I haven't read that many books, but I feel like it's um I don't know. I, I feel like it's a battleground currently kind of in the greater scheme of uh, the education system in the U.S. I was just, what 
when you were talking, Casey, it reminded me of um, the fact that one of our high school friends, he just published a children's book. Do you remember? Like we, we, all, we all thought it was something he did to just put on like his resume, right? But it, the fact is, is that it's actually really easy to get these to get books published, period. Like, but yeah. then especially children's books, because all you need is to have a really basic story, hire an illustrator, and then you can just get it published, basically, and sell it on Amazon. <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. I, I, I remember the book now. It was, it was something about voting, right? It was something about, um, I don't know, like the electoral system. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, like, yeah, that, it's just, it was just making me think, like, there's really no filter, I guess. Like, obviously, certain books are going to be more popular than others. If it's a good book, it's going to be more circulated, more people are going to recommend it, right? You can not, like, not every book that gets published is going to be an award winning. But at the same time, anyone can publish a book and there's no, like, you don't need to go to college or you don't need to take a specific course to learn how to do it. It's just something you can, if you have the idea for it, you can put it out there. And that makes me wonder, like, is that a good thing or a bad thing for, like, what we should be exposing our children to? Because I know that's also a big topic about, like, exposing children to YouTube, right? Because anyone can publish on YouTube. And when kids are just scrolling, like, through the recommended, they can get some pretty questionable stuff that is disguised as videos for kids. So adults will never, like, double check it. But then it's actually, like, really sketchy. Yeah, what what immediately comes to mind when you say that are those um it's like that controversy surrounding those like Spider-Man and Elsa videos yeah. on YouTube. Yeah, back when we were in high school. I, I feel like that's an interesting perspective. I feel like um well fundamentally I think there's a difference between creation and distribution, right? Because I think you're absolutely right. Anyone can create a book if they want. If today I want to create, I don't know, uh like a random story of like, I don't know, like a Star Wars fan fiction, I can probably find on Fiverr a ghostwriter to write me a story pretty quickly. And then, like you said, anyone can publish on Amazon, right? And Amazon will literally print the book for you as well. Um, But I I think there's a difference between creating something and putting it out there and people actually reading and consuming it. And I think when it comes to, when it comes to books, there's so many out there. It's really hard to get recognition or, or marketing support, unless you're, you know, signed to a major uh, publishing label that I think when it comes to concerns about, what people have access to, uh, at least within the, the the context of children's novels, children's books, I feel like it's less of a, my, my, my two cents on it, at least, is that it's, it's, a less, it's less of a concern. I think the bigger concern isn't really what are our children reading these days, is it's are our children reading books in the first place, right? <laughs> and and on, that, on that front, something I'm, I'm curious to hear about is like, do you two think the medium of like children's books are are dying, right? Because there's the typical like um, like you have your typical canon of, of children's books, right? Everyone reads like the Roald Dahls, the uh, the Carlyles, the Dr. Seuss books. But do you think there's going to be a reduction in the amount of like let's say if we were to look at um, like a leading indicator, right? The number of new books. Um, preschool and kindergarten teachers are requesting budget to buy on a yearly basis. Do you guys think that number is going down? Because I think from my perspective, what, what I've been seeing is that um, I've been seeing a lot of discussion and content surrounding 
you know, teachers basically asking themselves, how do we, how do we adopt our education methods to these younger generations, right? Because these younger generations are like digital native, they're TikTok native. How do we make the content more like more for them rather than sticking to the, to our existing mediums? Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think reading is going to necessarily, like, obviously people I feel like are reading on a whole less these days than they were in the past because there's so many more forms of entertainment but i think specifically for children children's literature i think is still a stronghold especially as they're in like the younger ages like parents read to their kids before they go to bed or whatever if they're paying attention to their kids i guess um and like in schools like obviously there's still like reading times and like books are still being purchased um so i don't think for children especially like kindergarten pre-k like i think they're definitely still reading i think it starts to become less when you get into like the raw doll level readings where it's like chapter books they might be kind of like branching out because maybe the now they're getting more tv time or now they're getting more like ipad time mm. but i would say definitely like when they're like six or younger or at least i hope so they're still doing a lot of reading <laughs> You, there's just so much exposure to books at those ages because that's how they learn like grammar structures and vocabulary and like just how to read and obviously like some kids will go to kindergarten or first grade not knowing how to read just because their parents didn't do those sorts of things but that sort of instance has like always occurred and the other thing i was going to say is when you're discussing like oh yeah anyone can publish on amazon I was thinking about how the other day I saw someone like tweet out, I made an AI generated children's novel, all the illustrations <laughs> and the text was all written by AI. And then there was just like a swarm of people who like all attacked it. And there was even like someone who worked in like the publishing industry for children's literature who like started pointing out like, a ton of flaws just on like one page of the book like i would never publish this like this 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 and this are wrong so i think there are regulations especially for like mainstream children's literature but i think amazon is probably the biggest problem when it comes to publishing like stuff for children that should not be published yeah but i agree with well everything you said but like the thing that that i was thinking about is that you're right that when kids are younger their parents still have some like larger influence over what they're doing right so they can read them the bedtime stories and such but then as they get older like they're gonna naturally want more autonomy and then in that autonomy they'll just probably stray away from books um and i was thinking about like why this might be the case and i'm and it naturally led me to think about libraries like obviously we all grew up with like a nearby public library right but like me personally, I never really went to the library. <laughs> like I know Come a lot. On, so, Dylan, you can't just submit that. Uh, <laughs> I, no. I literally, and it, it's it's really bad too because I literally I live like two blocks away, walking distance from the public <laughs> library. You know, Casey. But I never went there because I I don't I didn't actively read. I, I didn't need to go there to study because I could just study in my room, right? So like there was no reason for me to go there, even though it's like a well-funded library. It's got so many books and it's obviously they have like the dvds and stuff too i don't know how libraries are doing anymore i, I feel like there have been articles about like they're still alive but people obviously don't attend them as much i i don't know what do you think casey 
<laughs> I feel like I was in the uh, I was in the opposite boat. I, I I went to the library a lot, but I I was <laughs> to bring it back to the to the giving tree. I was I was more of a taker. I wasn't really a give back. Um, so I racked up a lot of late fines on the <laughs> on the books I borrowed. I really I to think that. they're getting away with that. There's a movement now to get rid of library fines, which I uh, which I appreciate. Maybe I can finally return um, my my Warrior Cats books then, because I think I still have some of them in the in a, in a box somewhere. But and in terms of what I think, ah, I, I feel like there's the there's the meme going around these days about the um, not Gen Z. What's the next generation? Gen, Gen Alpha? How they're all iPad kids, right? Um, it's like their their default medium of I guess like content consumption has has changed or maybe it hasn't right but I I think I think back to you know my childhood or I guess yours as well like I mean obviously the internet was around like I had access to like a personal computer but I felt like it was like TV was the TV was like the the fast food content yeah. and that was something that was pretty much controlled fully by my parents right they could they could tell like they could hear when i was watching a tv and they could control like what hours i can watch what, what hours i can't and so i think for me like my default medium was was books but i think these days maybe due to like parents being busy or just the pure convenience factor of it or something else um these days like you just like a kid turns two or three you give them a, an iphone or an ipad and you let them wail away at youtube kids right mm-hmm. um which I think, you know, yeah, to, to Hope's earlier point, I, I agree. I think children's books are still going strong, but I do feel like we might be entering some sort of inflection point in terms of people's default mode of consumption. Um, and I, I'm not sure if that's a good or a bad thing, right? Because you kind of have to wonder, if we were to zoom out, for instance, like reading hasn't been something that's like readily available to the large majority of people, at least in large countries like the US or the UK, et cetera, since I want to say like the 1800s, like late 1800s, 1900s, like post-industrial revolution. Yeah. Like printing wasn't widely available until the 1500s or 1450s or whenever Gutenberg invest, uh, invented the, the printing press. And like previous to that, like the majority of human history was like oral history, right? Like if you were to learn things or like, um, like consume content in like the like 2000 BCE, right? In, in, in ancient Greece, it's like, you're not going to pick up and read a book because you don't know how to read. <laughs> you're going <laughs> to like listen to your friends tell you a story or you're going to walk down to the local amphitheater, amphitheater to watch a play or something like that. Yeah. So I feel like, I'm, I'm curious to get like your, your perspectives on this as well, but it's like, do you think, well, first of all, do you think we are in the middle of like the default medium changing? And then two, would you think that's like a good thing, a bad thing, or just neutral? It's just change. You mentioned like iPads and stuff. And I want to like circle back to yeah. the, your previous question about like teachers making um, or requesting budgets for books. And I feel like right after we left um, elementary school, they started having iPads for each student in the classroom right or or like like we had those um like those neos like that the typing things the the, the typing yeah yeah it all all you can do is type on it but but like the kids after us got ipads and i feel like that's how they're going to um do books now like digitally (laughs) they're gonna just buy digital copies of all of these children's books and like the kids can access them on the tablets and 
again, like going back to like, I don't know if it's good or bad. It's, it's different. Um, those kids are just going to have their iPad in front of them. And if it's a competition between a book that is just like static versus a- something animated, like a YouTube video or like something lively with music, right there, I feel like the books is probably not going to win in the majority of situations. <laughs> um, but yeah, like uh, speaking to your historical point, it's definitely true that when we zoom out, like reading is not actually that long of a stretch in human history, right? Especially as a recreational thing for mass audiences. And then that made me think about how actually visual and audio things are more dominant. Like it, mm-hmm. they have been more dominant historically, and now they are once again more dominant in t- in the form of YouTube, streaming, TV, et cetera, et cetera, right? Yeah. Well, I think it all boils down to the easiest way to expand your message and to get people to like absorb the morals you want to tell. Because like way back when, like the obvious, the best way to do that was through oral storytelling and like passing information down through the generations that way. And when eventually books became available to the public, like we didn't have TV or like initially when books were being dispersed, radio, I don't think either. And so the easiest way to get your message to the most amount of people and to get like the was through books, which could be spread. And like the introduction of schooling allowed more people to read and things like that, especially in like more Protestant areas where they wanted people to read the Bible. Um, And so then nowadays, books are no longer the easiest way to spread that message because you have these audio and visual ways of transmitting like knowledge and morals and messages that you don't need to write it out to disperse it like you can still go back to saying it and people are going to view it and so i think we switch these medias because the idea is to have your ideas heard by the most amount of people and so like the reason it ever switched to books was because that was the easiest way i think that's one way to look at it and to kind of bring it from that point i was wondering should we be conscious about the sort of like messaging that children take in at a young age like will they just absorb it or do you think they can think consciously about what they're um consuming either it be books or TikTok, etc yeah i'm i'm gonna be very blunt here i think children are stupid <laughs> <I think. laughs> Damn. By, by, by and large the large majority of children are not that smart and i, I don't blame them right like yeah, you've been born a couple of years ago. You don't know many things. You don't know algebra. I, I think you should absolutely be careful about the the messaging on which you know children you know are are, are exposed to. But I'm I'm not sure what that would look like. You know, because you could have you know strong you know let's say government oversight about you know the messaging of children's books. But I think that might err on you know like free speech protections in a way it's like okay maybe you have a more moral government i'm I'm saying moral right because people's perspectives might differ um you might have like a more moral government in place to someone's perspective right and then the changes and restrictions that they're making to the content that children can consume is good but then to someone else they don't like that and so it's bad and so i don't know it it's hard right and that's kind of why my first thought went to I think like children's books or just like children's media content being this sort of culture war at a point because 
I think everything always starts with the the youth, right? I think when it comes to people getting um, people getting like pushed into different movements or, or belief forms, it always starts from a young age. Um, it starts before they're necessarily, you know, able to critically assess the, the content that they're taking. I mean, like I believe I I consume so much like conspiracy theory stuff when I was you know like 10, 12 even. I just like ate it all up. I'm like, oh my god, what's going on? I was reading Dan Brown books. I'm like, this this our real life? Did <laughs> someone actually steal the Constitution? The <laughs> the Nicolas Cage movies? They were uh, they were documentaries. I mean that that was kind of my mindset, right? And yeah, I don't know. I don't I don't have a I don't have a clear answer here. I feel like it's hard to put out like a blanket statement like we should suppress all children's literature dealing with this, but then we should promote this kind of message because I think. You can always like poke holes in general in, in generalizations, which could be, I guess, I guess more dangerous. I'm, I'm not sure if that makes sense, but yeah. I'm going to take a different stance from Casey and I'm going to stand up for the little guys. I think <laughs> yeah, li- quite literally little. <laughs> I don't think, I don't think children are as stupid as we think they are. I, I said this previously, but like, I think the, the key is that the, the content and media we have today is just so fast that it doesn't allow for pausing or critical thinking like you said Casey like it's not that children can't critically think it's that there's no time for them to because that's how media is designed right that's how advertising is designed it's supposed to be like instantaneous instant gratification in your eyes and stuck in your brain but then moves moves right on to the next thing and it doesn't give you any time to process it and I feel like if kids had the time to reflect on the media they're consuming they would, and they would realize maybe not everything should be taken at face value, but it's just how capitalism has designed our mass media <laughs> markets. Well, this sounds like a conspiracy theory, but no, I swear to God, it's no, not. No, I, I think that's fair. So you're saying we need to have better, we need to train better media literacy skills in children. Yeah. And like, I agree. I, I feel like it, it's not just children. Like I, I, I apply Adults this to as well. <laughs> yeah, humans, humanity in general. I feel like we're not as stupid as we sometimes act. And that's because of like almost a prison we've constructed for ourselves, right? Like the smartest advertisers have designed the system so that we become dumber in the situations that like we've put ourselves in for the purposes of luxury and enjoyment, right? Obviously, we like watching movies. We like watching TikTok. We like watching YouTube, right? It gives us that good feeling most of the time. But by buying into that system, we're also giving up almost willingly our critical thinking, our processing, our like self-reflection and critical analysis, et cetera, et cetera. Wake up, sheeple. <laughs> well, I'm going to end the discussion here since we've been going for a while. And I'm going to say, Casey, what did you think the topic was for this episode? Jeez, you know, I thought it was children's books at first, but now, like, you kind of expanded us. I'm, I'm, I'm guessing it has something to do with books in general, maybe? Or no, no, actually, no, it's about children, probably. Something, either books or children. <laughs> Those areas. So, um, I was, my topic was about, like, morality in children's literature for the most part so i started the session off with dylan before you got here with a quote from an aesop's fable to like bring it from like the old times to the more modern so you're pretty close (laughs) 
That's that's cool. Yeah, I was close because I cast two very very large. Hands. <laughs> I'm probably gonna get a part of the part of the main topic there. That was fun. Yeah, this was a good topic. Thank you. I came up with it by typing beans into my phone and then seeing that I'd previously searched a quote from Aesop's Fables with beans in it, and so now I was like, talk about this. <laughs> so. so the topic was actually about beans, Casey. <laughs> there we go. It was initially about beans. <laughs> um, thank you for joining us today. Um, I was joined by my co-host Dylan Yang and our guest Casey Zhang, and see you all next week. 